Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 282. Today is Sunday the 17th of June 2018 and this interview is with Amy Arrett. Amy is a unique businesswoman who has worked in big business, led a venture capital company, has operated on many boards and has also started multiple entrepreneurial outfits. Her latest is Madison Reed, launched in 2014 that manufactures and sells hair products in the U.S., In this conversation with Amy, we look at the early lessons learned, the trifecta of ingredients that has contributed to Madison Reed's success, their effective ways of using tech to drive the business, and a good deal more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host. And you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Amy Harris, thank you for coming on the Minter Dialogue. You are someone who I first came across at South by Southwest. I listened to you speaking about your entrepreneurial efforts. And this really must have been about three or four years ago. And, uh, and you started Madison Reed in 2013. And, of course, I know it's after your daughter's name. And the funny story is that my son, I called him Madison. So another link there. Ah. So tell us about the inspiration that got you to create Madison Reed. And I'm sure it wasn't just your daughter. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate that. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, the, you know, inspiration uh, uh, really came out of, I think great consumer brands really come from a consumer pain point and, you know, a great brand, uh, not saying we are, but we're, we're aspiring to be a, a great brand. Um, you know, is is really about, um, you know, a woman's journey around hair color and, you know, the two conventional ways that a woman, you know, historically has gotten their hair colored is, you know, a box uh, on a shelf that, you know, isn't the most pleasant experience in terms of odor, componentry, instructions or lack thereof. And um, that seems like a, you know, uh, an inferior way for her to um, want to color her hair, or, or the second way was obviously a salon uh, where uh, we have a belief that it takes a long time, it's very costly, and you actually don't even know the brand of product that most salons are using. So it's very much um, uh, tied to the artist, which is fantastic, but we know how busy uh, you know women are. So the real inspiration was, could we give women back their confidence through their hair and could we create a third channel and that channel um, has two parts to it one of those parts is an online business where we use technology to color match you whether it's through a photo or whether it's through uh, 13 questions that you answer um, and we've created a beautiful box with a premium experience that's all about better ingredients better componentry easy videos to access, easy instructions, and then all the things in that box that you would need to have gorgeous hair. Um, Our color is salon quality, multi-tonal, made in Italy, low chemical profile. Uh, We've really thought through what do you need to have that experience uh, not torture you, but (laughs) effectively, uh, it's always interesting when beauty products torture you to feel beautiful. Mm. Um, We uh, love the concept of um, not doing that, but having actually a wonderful experience. So that's one channel. And then the other channel is most recently opening color bars, which are this, our, our color in express 
in a physical location called Madison Reed Color Burst, where a woman is in and out faster with getting her roots done with our same product at a uh, much less expensive alternative. Right. Well, so there's a lot of things there. So uh, one of the things, as you know, I, I spend a lot of time dealing with hair color and I and so I know it very well. And I, while I don't want to necessarily take everyone you know, who's listening down the cut, the rabbit hole of hair color, when you will look at the product in self-service per se uh, versus in salon where they don't know the brand, do you believe that there's a higher attention then to the technology that's in the box? Um. You know, I I believe that the box that's sold on a shelf has had no innovation in X number of years, probably since it's been um, actually put on a shelf. And I think that the existing alternatives have had women in a captured moment where they've needed to do this. So there hasn't been a ton of time, energy or innovation around the ingredients, the application process, the sort of specificity of color matching. So, for instance, most brands on the shelf have at most 10 colors. And, you know, we have soon to be over 50 colors. And so, you know, where you really sacrifice on the shelf today is that if you are a dark brunette, you are getting dark brunette with no tones Um, Meaning, you know, you don't have the choice of a level four as a dark brunette having gold or mahogany in it, ash, versus uh, the notion of if you want it to pull more red or have copper tones, um, you know, and that's something that, you know, we have six level fours or seven level fours. So I think that the, the issue is really that we have taken this notion of what we think are pre-mixed salon quality, both level and tone, and put it in the convenience and access of a woman getting it directly. Uh, we, you know, here's what I think is the, is the most interesting about our color bars. We sell the same product in the color bar on the shelves that we use. And you can't walk into a salon and buy color that's used on your hair. That's hair. And we don't, yeah. So we don't understand that because what we want is we are agnostic to where do you want to get your hair done. We are focused on premium of the product and want to give you access wherever it makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. So how do you describe the the competitive advantage? I mean, is it going to be in the fact that you are providing the same product in multiple channels or the 50 shades different from the, the, the 10 that are on a shelf. Yep. What, what, are the, what are the major competitive advantages? Because at, the, at some day, let's say a L'Oreal or a Proctor decides to wake up, or Proctor or Unilever, whoever, they, they wake up and they, they provide 50 shades instead of 10. How, where, where do you feel you have the biggest barriers against their rising up and, and trying to attack, attack you head on? So I think that number one, for most of those companies, the, there's channel conflict. And that channel conflict is really embedded in the fact that they have two very different channels serving a customer. They have a channel that's all about retail distribution, and they're not going to go directly to a customer, right? They can't bite the hand that feeds them there for all the right reasons, right? The second part of that is the salon channel is very important to them, so they're still not going to go directly to a consumer Um, because, you know, that would be in direct conflict with the artists in the salon. 
So where our advantage is, is that we are a direct-to-consumer company, period, full stop. Mm. We are not a company that's serving somebody else's shelf from a retailer standpoint, and we're not a company that our own color bars are focused on uh, just keeping you focused on the artist. So let me give you an example. You can walk into a color bar in New York or a color bar in San Francisco or soon to be Los Angeles, and it's not that you're requesting, can I have... Um, Renee as the colorist, you're walking into a Madison Reed color bar where the standard of service is superior and whomever is coloring your roots is going to give you the same outcome. Right. So the the, the brand of the color. It's really, it's really a brand. It's really a brand play because what I find to be the most interesting thing, right? You could go down any other CPG category, go down skincare, color cosmetics, even shampoo, you know, other color, uh, other hair products, and you could name mass versus prestige. In hair color, you can name mass, but you can't, ha- you can't name prestige. Yeah. And what we want to do is become the first hair color prestige brand that you could use in any channel you want. You want to do it yourself or you want to go somewhere to get it done. It's really about the quality of the prestige product itself. In the online business, the advantage we have there, and the same in our hair color, our color bars, is really technology. And that advantage is quite significant because in the online business, that technology is what's color matching you when we can't see you. Right? There's a very sophisticated algorithm with 4.8 million hair profiles in it now that is taking the answers to those 13 questions or taking your photo and matching it against an algorithm to make sure that the recommended outcome shade is going to meet your results, including where your hair is starting. Because I think that's the piece in hair color that people don't understand is the trickiest part. It's not where do you want to go. It's what you're starting with because it's science, not just art. Right. You, right. you have to know that there's under, undertones yeah. and all that. Yeah, exactly. You have to know how much gray somebody is, right. what's on their hair now, what's their desired result. And, you know, do they have, you know, is their hair straightened? Is their hair right? You have to know those things to get an outcome that exists. So and then in the color bars, the technology is quite sophisticated. Like we've built our own booking system. Right. That's all mobile enabled. We've built our own merchant processing system. A woman can just get up out of the chair and leave and not have to process a credit card like an Uber. You know, we've built our own, the the same questions are answered through the algorithm. Um, And, um, you know, so let me give you an example. If she's, if, if our customer's in a color bar and gets, you know, four NGV put on her hair, she knows that if she comes online, that's already populated in her profile. So she could say, well, what was the color used? Oh, I'd like to purchase that. Or I'd like the gloss that they put on me that is effectively matched to that. So it's a way for us to make it accessible for the customer regardless of the channel. Yeah, so you're following her path in or out of the salon. It's all about her convenience. It's all about time, convenience, performance, ingredients, right? But it's really product. It strikes me listening to you, Amy, then that the there's another way of expressing it i should say the competitive advantage is your direct access to to her and or you know them if you will and the the data that's behind it not only do you have the the questionnaire and 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 the information that helps me with 13 questions get to the color i'm looking for 
but you have the meta level and you have the direct access, which none of the majors have because they have to either go through Walmart or Carrefour exactly. or whatever or through the, the hairdresser. Yeah, they don't have the data or the relationship to the customer. So you've, um, you started in 2013, Amy. Uh, how, how would you describe how big Madison Reed has become these days? Yeah, so um, uh, just to, I, I want to sort of clarify that. So the company was incorporated in 2013. We didn't introduce our product into the market until the summer of 14. I see. So we've been at it because it took us time to formulate sure, it and have course. a beta and stuff like that. So, um, so uh, you, know, ha, you know, we're a private company, so I'm not at liberty to talk about actual numbers. But, you know, I, we've grown dramatically. We've kind of doubled every year since we've been in business. You know, certainly, um, you know, we have a very healthy and large uh, six-figure subscriber base. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that and our retention's quite high. You know, today the company has a 66 net promoter score, so that's very high from a consumer standpoint. So I think those are some markers that um, are kind of important, and, and we believe the company will still, you know, see 70, 80, 100% growth year over year. You've certainly done well in funding, and I know that's one of your core strengths is to, to know how to, how to get uh, money backing as well. That must help. Yeah, you know, I, uh, this is my fourth time as being an entrepreneur, and uh, I laugh. Um, people hear this joke all the time. People say, oh, it's so good that there's a mature entrepreneur. I think that's just like old word for old. Um, and, um, and experience. You're a dashing blonde, Amy. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I think there's a combat and I was a VC, um, a venture capitalist in between the third company and the, and this company. So I think there's, you know, I think I understand both sides of the equation and really my job ultimately, it's not really about the funding. You know, I try to tell people this, it's really about, um, giving the company access to, um, increase shareholder value. And that, you know, the funding is just a mechanism sure. to effectively um, create shareholder value that outstrips the uh, amount of funding we've had, right? Like, it's just an easier equation to think about it that All right, way. Well, so I want to dig in on that because, um, yeah. I mean, first I wanted to congratulate you. I know you just won Entrepreneur of the Year, your finalist, sorry, of Entrepreneur yes. of the Year in Northern California. Yes. Congrats on that. Um, when, when you are owner-entrepreneur, there's an issue or this notion of privacy and control. Uh, ownership. So when you do the funding, you're giving away your ownership. Do you feel that there's like an optimal equation in that in all of your experiences on either side of the equation, you know, be VC land or as an entrepreneur? Because the more you as the entrepreneur retain control or, you know, a large stake, the more liberty you have to do what you want, including say how big you are. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. Uh, I, I can understand the, that there's a thought process that if you don't control 51% or more, you can't make the decisions you want. I don't experience, I don't own 51% of the company, you know, certainly because we've taken the kind of funding that we've had. Um, however, I don't feel that myself or our management team in any way is constrained by our investors to not make our own decisions. You know, certainly there is corporate governance and, you know, we are we have regular board meetings and we're updating people. And, you know, uh, you know, technically, could somebody decide that we're not the right people to be doing this anymore? Sure. But, you know, I think that the issue really is having also been an investor is, you know, you're really investing in a group of people. And, 
you know, without those group of people, you really don't have a company, right? So I think all investors are, you know, incredibly bought into the vision of a founding team and are really, um, you know, it, it's not a one-way street that if you don't own 51%, you don't have control. They're effectively investing in you and your judgment and your ability to move shareholder value. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't subscribe to this notion of I have to own 51% because control, um, I don't feel a lack of control because I don't own 51%. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. And surely, I mean, you, you had a chance to review, if you will, okay. the people who are investing in you and, and, and that helps as well because you establish relationships and credibility with the VC environment ahead of time. So you're going in there in full knowledge. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the investors that we've, we have have added enormous value. They have expertise in similar business models or like business models. So that has been super helpful. Their access to resources for us, you know, have, have been, you know, invaluable. All those things are true. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's always comes down to a team and people to execute as good as this idea can be. It will always be um, either executed or non-executed by the team that you have and right, the motivation so, that team has. All right, so that, let's just I did d- dive into that based on your multiple experiences, Amy. How do you? I mean, a lot of people listening are entrepreneurs. What are the lessons you've learned uh, through your various uh, entrepreneurial activities? And or looking at it from a VC side, what do you think of the yeah. things that are, are driving, are, need to be like top of mind for people who are trying to drive a business these days? Yeah, I think there's three. I think if you're an early stage company or contemplating this, every investor is going to look at three things. And those three things are pretty specific. So first, they're going to look at size of the market. Right. So anything that um, they're looking at funding, they have to have a belief system that could get large enough for the outcome to kind of outstrip the capital in, right? So size of the prize, TAM, this is called your total addressable market. Second is the differentiation of your product offering compared to what's out there. So you address that by saying, okay, what is Madison, what is the stake in the ground for Madison Reed? You know, is it a technology play? Is it a product play? What makes your product work better than other people, what is disruptive. So I think it's really product differentiation. And that can come, in our case, it's about physical product and it's about um, business model and it's about technology, right? It's a Mm -hmm. technology-enabled consumer product with a differentiated business model and it happens to have a physical product that we think is superior, right? So it it hits those screens about product. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is you have to have a team. It's all about people. And as I would say, as an early stage investor, I could take, um, you know, basically one out of the three risks, but never the team risk. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, so I had to have team and then, you know, early stage, it either had to be a big enough market or the product had to be differentiated. And what does but, but you, you, it's very hard to find that trifecta. Like yeah. that's just a very hard thing. Um, but, it, you know, it's always about the team. If the team can't execute, because in early stage investing, somebody could tell me the prize is big, the minimal viable product we have is is fine, and we're going to spend the, the early part of getting started in fine-tuning the product. I would take that risk if I thought the market was big enough and the team was good enough. 
when you look at the team, of course, there are two things. One is what is what constitutes a good team. So is it diversity? Is it expertises and so on? And then the second thing is the the challenge of the growth, because a team that is good at the beginning may not be a team yeah. that's good at in maturity. Um, I think that there's a couple things. One is you have to have some level of expertise, um, and whether that expertise it comes in the form of technical expertise or whether it comes in in general management expertise in in scaling a company right it's you know some of this is are you good at the first part Mm -hmm. which is you know lots of ambiguity figuring something out being scrappy you know how do you get a bunch of hair color in a box how how do you get a thousand people to use it to see if it works right there, those skills are very different than the skills of where we are today, where now it's efficiency and execution in the direct-to-consumer part of our business. The the part of our business in the color bars is younger and newer. And so, you know, the first two have been scrappy and learning, and now we will be scaling that around execution. So it's can you get a mixture of people who are comfortable in the beginning of the ambiguity and scrappiness, mm-hmm. and then how do you transition either those people or the mindset to, oh, geez, having an org chart really matters, right? Because, you know, real different when you have six people and everyone, all six people know exactly what's going on to when you have 150 people and communication becomes, you know, it needs processes, it needs, you know, it, it And then on top of all that, which I think is the secret sauce is, you know, regardless of the size of the company, can you create a unique and transformative culture, right? Can you give people a reason to want to give their hearts and minds and, you know, to a purpose? And, you know, we are a very purpose-driven company. Um, What I mean by that is the ingredients matter to us. Customer satisfaction matters to us. Giving a culture internally where people can grow professionally and personally and financially is important to us. So there's a set of cultural norms that have to transcend the size. Hmm. And that's a very hard thing for most companies as you grow. Well, I particularly was attracted by your mission statement. You have to say is we empower people to look and feel their best inside and out. And uh, that, that definitely resonated for me. And I think, of course, afterwards, you know, missions are mission statements and they're only worthwhile once they're lived. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, for us, you know, I, I would talk about that on two on, in two axes, right? One axis is, ha- the, do we live up to that promise for the customer? And then the second axis is, I, I think we have two customers here. I've always thought that. We have the customer that pays us for superior service, and they deserve that, 100%, full stop. We have 100% money back guarantee, and we live by that every day. We are focused on our net promoter score, which is an in, in it basically is showing you whether what you believe and how you're executing it is translated to your customers or not. And then we have an internal net promoter score because I think our customers are also our team members, right? Like those are a set of our customers. They choose every day about showing up with their hearts and minds and giving us the most valuable asset. This is also the benefit of being mature. Um, the most valuable asset is their time. Including and genius. Right? And, you, and you now have one of my great friends, David Stanko, on board. He's uh, amazing. And, you know, we're blessed by David's ability to give his expertise, you know, in a place where it's 
much more risky than the things that he's done before, huh. right? And so we feel very blessed by that because we're better for that. So um, outside of the product, uh, which we've been talking about, uh, and maybe this is really focusing maybe on the technology beyond the product, what type of technologies have you been bringing in, Amy, to drive your uh, the business? I mean, there I'm thinking of obviously things like artificial intelligence. What, what, what yeah. can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, the company started with a very strong technology, um, both skill in terms of the uh, resources in the company. We have 19 full-time engineers, a great VP of engineering, and a great CTO. So the core of the company isn't let's catch up to technology. The core of the company is let technology lead the how the product evolves. Mm. Um, you know, I'd say that our most, the algorithm is very sophisticated. And so what seems like a very um, easy 13-question quiz, underneath it is an algorithm that had to, had to actually mirror what a, what a stylist would be assessing if they were looking at your hair, mm. right? So that, in a, in a funny way, you know, we're taking what a stylist would look at if I walked in the door. What is my starting place? How much gray do I have? What's the length of my hair? What's the texture of my hair? How often do I color? All those things. Do I have bleach on my hair? Do I, you know, is is my hair highlighted, right? Like, those are all things that we needed to know. So in a funny way, this algorithm is, is trying to assess through your answers what would actually be happening if we were looking at your hair and then recommending a diagnosis, if you will, an outcome. And what we did early on was we used Master Colorist as a way for the engineers to interview. And we constantly are updating that as we have new products, we have new shades, mm -hmm. we have, you know, we are, we're just introducing the first home balayage highlight kit. And so we're now having to have a level of sophistication that isn't just permanent color for mm -hmm. your roots. There's a piece now that on top of Pull it, through. we need to have. And then in addition, what happens in the algorithm, which is actually quite sophisticated, is all those net promoter scores that I talked about and all the ratings and reviews that we get by shade get fed into the algorithm. So the algorithm is getting smarter about its matches, right? It's looking to see that if Jean said these 13 things and we gave her this recommended outcome and she bought it and she gives us a very high score, awesome. If she gives us a very low score, oh, geez, what happened there, right? And the algorithm also has helped us develop other products because of what didn't work. Mm. So early in the company, the largest concern was gray coverage. And the algorithm started, the outcome of the algorithm started to say to us that we needed to develop some new shades for people that had more than 50% gray. Hmm. Because the saturation level of tone, primarily neutral tone, wasn't there. Uh -huh. And so we developed six new shades that we call triple N's, and those have been a category killer for the woman that has more than 50% gray. So that's just an example. Oh, yeah. In addition, one other thing that I'd add is we you can take a selfie of your hair, so we have photo recognition. And what we're doing is using the algorithm to read the photo, and then we ask you some clarifying questions which is really to fill in the blanks of the same algorithm. And then new to come will be some uh, AI that will attempt to show you with different hair color what you might look like, those kinds of things. 
Well, it, I was just uh, thinking uh, when you take photo, rec you know, image recognition, the challenges of if you're looking at my camera now, you'll see that there's a yellow pale coming it's over light. here. Yeah, and it's the, light. And the way that the light is different will change dramatically. Like, you Absolutely. know, the, that yellow and black or the white and blue dress, you know, that whole yep, image exactly. thing. So uh -uh. Uh, we, we haven't talked about customer service, but I wanted to just maybe intro that in via social media and how social media, what strategy you've employed uh, in terms of going after social media and is it related to customer service? Yes. So the answer to that is um, our customer service is a full-time, uh, we call them the color crew, but they are 100% um, our certified licensed colorists. So all of our customer service is really talking to somebody who went to cosmetology school, is licensed in the state, and is a hair colorist, right? So we've taken a very different approach of you can hire customer service and either outsource it, mm -hmm. or you could hire people and the core of it is change my address, change my credit card number, mm -hmm. or you could hire people where it's really advice-based, consultative, and really, you know, if you will, a stylist at, on call. And that's the approach that we've taken. Um, and that's been great. And there's 35 people now and they are, you know, we're trying to give them a different career path than they would normally have if, if they were standing behind a chair. Some of them are stand behind the chair on a part-time basis. Some of them, because they like to have their hands in air, they're artists. And some of them have learned technology skills, customer service skills, as they've wanted to actually expand or change their career path. And that's been great. And some of our best color bar people have come through customer service, right? Because they're learning the product line. Because remember, in our color bars, we only use Madison Reed color. Mm. So that that's an important factor. As you go as you go through the customer service journey um, in the company, you know we are growing and progressing that journey to now include physical retail, and that's a very different. Um, you know, set of skills, you know, as I say to people all the time, it's difficult when you can't see a customer because you're trying to assess something. It's also really different when a customer's standing in front of you yeah. and how do those skills translate, right? Mm. It just strikes me, uh, Amy, you know, knowing so well the industry that there are so many hairdressers that uh, have to give it up for allergies or other reasons, like, yes. you know, they have varicose veins and so on. So th that that's a whole nother pool of experts totally. that could sit you know, behind we, the chair. Yeah, we have, uh, the, uh, you know, yes. honestly, one of the things that I'm proudest of in the company, and I think we have not even seen the full potential, is just if you look at the total addressable market of stylists, it's massive. Yeah. And there is, there is a, there's a, um, you know, 5% of salons that you can't get into, right? And then there's 95% of salons where the business model, you know, may not be able to accommodate new stylists coming into the market. Or, you know, as you said, it's a it's an industry that's filled with lots of things that are, you're on your feet, you're using your hands, you're, you know, blow dries, give you a carpal tunnel. Like there's all sorts of stuff going on there. And part of what our business is about is really expanding the opportunities for people that have gone to school they're quite talented they're artists and they you know you know classically they've probably not had the opportunity to expand their technology skills or work for a company where they have stock options or those kinds of things mm. so we're very proud of the fact that we think this is changing an industry's potential about career paths
All right, last question, Amy. Uh, you mentioned a little bit the development of the future. Um, yeah. What's because uh, I knowing how color is different in Europe uh, with the German hair color taste and so on. Uh, what's your plan for the international world? Yeah, we we will expand internationally. I mean, I think the first thing in the U.S. is that we will we will be opening a significant number of color bars, and that is you know that's an important factor in the company, and you will see that over the next. Year, uh, 18 months expanding dramatically, Northern California, uh, New York region, Southern California, and then other regions. And then, you know, we will look internationally and we will expand. You know, I, I think most likely that will be done through s- some partnerships because, you know, each each country, each region has so much specific understanding and why I think we've made a good dent in North America is we live in North America and we understand what this woman primarily wants and desires. We go to Asia or we go to Latin America and within Latin America, there's, you know, 10 different cultural values and the same, you know, Korea is not the same as China, which is not the same as Japan and the same thing in Europe, every single country. So I think we are not in any way um, fooling ourselves or other people by saying, geez, we're going to go it alone. I just don't think that is realistic. But I also think, you know, and uh, it's very, this is not a business where getting it 50% right is okay. Right? This is a, this is the devil's in the detail of this business. There's only one thing at the end of the day that matters. How does her hair look? And, you know, what it comes down to in this business is you can't rush this just because you're in a hurry. Right? Like every day we have to earn the right to get the emotional, um, you know, as I call it, the emotional insurance, uh, you know, with our color crew, with our algorithms, with the performance of our product to earn the right that she comes back, you know, and I feel like we've been thoughtful about the quality. We can't rush the thoughtfulness of the quality because ultimately we could 5X the size of the business. And if that net promoter score, you know, is a 10, it doesn't matter. Right. And so so what is really most important here is always the thought process of the customer coming first and the quality. So we have to pace ourselves. North America is really big. (laughs) There's a lot of women in the U.S. that color their hair. Uh, We haven't even scratched the surface of that. So I think you're going to see us trying to get this right before we decide that we're going to move into other regions where there's tons of different difficulty that has nothing to do with just the outcome of hair color so our first obligation is to get this market right well for sure your tam is uh yeah, fully large already in <laughs> yeah, the United right, States. Exactly. all right well amy thank you so much for coming on time is what it is yeah. let, let us know what's the best way to to follow you what you're yep. up to or and of course get some mass yep. and read color yeah well you know our website is www.madison m-a-d-i-s-o-n dash read reed.com um you know that's the best way to get us you can follow us on facebook instagram twitter linkedin all under madison reed so if you just look that up we're there you know social media is big for us influencers are big for us and so if there's influencers listening that want to you know try the product promote the product that is something that we are doing a ton of, and, and that's really important. And then I'd say that, you know, the, the other piece of it is that this um, highlight product called Lightworks is a really big change. There has not been a alternative that's uh, non-ammonia-based, clay-based, 
highlights with a tool for actual application that we patented. So we're excited about that as well as our core product, which is permanent hair color. So, so that's the bal- um, that was the balayage you were talking about, right? Yeah, in the balayage. Light, yeah, absolutely. light works. So it's, it's if, fantastic. If I'm an influencer, how do I get in touch with you? Uh, just get on our website, and there's a piece there that you can uh, write us a note, and somebody will get back to you. Um, and I will offer this because I always do. Um, you can uh, actually email me directly uh, uh, at the at the letters A E at Madison com, and I'll make sure I get back to you or somebody else gets back to you immediately. I'm very good at that. Spectacular, Amy. Thanks for coming on the show. I'll put all that in the show thank notes. You. I'll yeah, be, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having what me. What are you doing? All right. Take okay, care. Okay. Great. See ya. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Joss Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. You mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas. Hold me tightly, slowly we would paint a lover's portrait with all your favorite shades.
do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.